Have you ever known somebody that just seems to be able to do anything they want, regardless of how much variety there was? Well, our guest today is one of those people, a modern-day renaissance man. His name is Chris Jericho. You might know him from the world of wrestling. He's a fantastic wrestler. He's also a metal rocker and even a best-selling author on the New York Times list. Uh, His new book is The Best in the World at What I Have No Idea. Well, Chris, uh, this book is really interesting. It's not your first book, but it tells a story of when you went away for a little while from wrestling and coming back. It wasn't quite what you expected in 2007, was it? Well, yeah, I mean, I've been gone for a couple of years, and when I came back for this triumphant return, it really wasn't so triumphant. And the, and the reason for that was I was kind of stagnant. I was playing a character that was stale, a little bit outdated, uh, and I, I knew I needed to change it up if I was going to get to the next level. Because um, the worst thing you can do is become a parody of yourself, become a nostalgia act, and that's kind of where I was at. So I just stripped everything away got rid of everything that people enjoyed about the Chris Jericho character and just went really dark and really uh, deep and fell into this, 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 this bad guy role that became the most hated guy in the company. And, and, you know, to the point where people were attacking me on the streets, uh, you know, assaulting me on a regular basis. And this was in 2008, you know, that's something that you would see in the seventies. Yeah. Uh, But it was happening in the modern era. So, really uh, touched a nerve with people and, and kind of revitalized and took my career to a completely different level. Well, was that kind of fun to make that switch? Because, you know, you, you, you did the other thing, been there, done that. Was it fun to try to play that other side and kind of go into that part of your mind and see how crazy you well, could I, get with it? I, I played heel, heels, as we call them, in wrestling for years. But the difference to this one was, is like, I just reconstructed what a heel was. I saw the movie No Country for Old Men. And there was Javier Bardem won an Oscar for playing this character called Anton Schur, which is a very quiet, deliberate, uh, you know, this is going to happen because it's just the way it is type of a character. And at that point, a lot of guys were still yelling in the ring. Uh, and when I just started talking very quietly, I remember people like yelling, like, we can't hear you, talk louder. And that's what I wanted. I wanted people to have to focus and realize that I wasn't screwing around. But this was a whole new Jericho, and, and you were going to listen to what I had to say, whether you liked it or not. And that really uh, rubbed people the wrong way. Uh, and, 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 you know, that's why I did it. So it was a real kind of cool reinvention. It was, it was almost a really uh, interesting case study of society when, when I turned to this character. And it was a lot of fun to write about, for sure. I'm sure it is. And- it just strikes me as it really you're really the face of modern day wrestling where it's not just uh, you know before it was kind of a comedy act sort of you one of the interviews I mean here you've really taken this to a whole nother level and plus there's still this incredible athletic ability that's necessary to do this night after night yeah well I mean it's always been about because when I started wrestling it was uh, you know the early 90s and I was small I mean it was all about six foot eight guys and I'm five eleven and I knew that I'd never be the biggest guy in the show, but I could have the biggest character and the biggest personality and, and the most charisma. And I've always structured myself that way. So when this character finally came to be, you know, I had successful characters in the past. It's just just this whole new thing of uh, this new type of heel, like, 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 like we were talking about. That was a lot of fun. But, you know, it's easier to make people hate you than it is to make them like you. But the real challenge is to make them stay hating you. Because the best bad guys of all time always eventually turn into good guys. And I'm not even talking about wrestling. I'm talking about uh, Darth Vader and Hannibal Lecter, Terminator, Freddy Krueger, the Joker. 
all those guys become amazing good guys because they're so entertaining. And when I was as entertaining as I was, to, to walk that line and make sure that people would never like me was the real challenge. And that's why I forbid the WWE from making Chris Jericho merchandise. Uh, no catchphrases. If I ever said anything that people started to get into and started to repeat after me or make signs of it in the crowd, I stopped saying it. Like, whatever was the, the, the norm of doing things, I did the opposite. And, and that's why it worked, because it was something completely different that hadn't been done before. You obviously understand marketing real well. Did you have any trouble selling McMahon on this concept? No, he loved it. And he was actually the one guy that, that, that backed me. You know, I talk about it in the book when I was attacked uh, in a parking lot in, in Victoria, B.C. by a mob of crazy fans and had to fight back. And, of course, some people were taping that on their phones, recording on their phones, made it all the way to Nancy Grace, how Jericho was public enemy number one, beating up fans. And everybody in the company was against me, but Vince had my back. Or when I started a riot in London by people throwing glow sticks at me, as ridiculous as it sounds, but, you know, hundreds of glow sticks in, like, this blizzard of, of neon yellow. Uh, and once again, the company was furious at me, and, and everyone was mad at me. It's had my back. He understood that I was doing something that we all dream of as a heel, to get that type of reaction, real legitimate hatred. It's hard to do, and I don't know if you could ever really do it anymore. That was kind of like the last end of an era to really get this type of person that would cause that type of reaction in people um, where, like I said, they knew it was a show, but for me, it was different. This is a show, but that guy's a jerk, and we want to hurt him ourselves. It's yeah. kind of scary, but it's also like a, like a standing ovation for me as a bad guy to get that type of reaction, and Vince understood that. Yeah, it, it really is, because I'm thinking of some of the bad guys in the past, and a lot of times they'd be associated with world events like the Iron Sheik, you know, that kind of thing. This is something where they genuinely disliked you. Yeah, there was no there was no uh, xenophobia or, you know, jingoistic tendencies or... You know, if you if you look at a lot of the heels at the time, and the you know the, the big the big bad guys, quote unquote, when I was in WCW with the NWO, there was nothing bad about them. You know, they, they came out to the ring, they said they're going to kick everybody's ass. They did. They were funny. They were entertaining. But they were the bad guys. Like, what's the hate? They had cool merchandise. Everybody's wearing NWO stuff. Uh, you know, or, or you know, when Triple H was a bad guy or anybody like that, there would be all this merchandise. And I was like, why would you want to have people wearing your stuff? if you want them to hate you, you know? And I, that's why I was like, there's no merch allowed. I remember, like, any time I was in the vicinity of the arena, I, I would go into that mode. I would not, you know, I wouldn't sign autographs or anything like that. I remember Madison Square Garden, to get in there, you have to park across the street. Like, you can't park in the garden. Everybody has to park across the street, and then you walk across the street in. And I remember I got in the, park, the parking garage elevator, and there was a, a dad and his son got in the elevator with me. And the guy's like, hey, Jericho, can you sign an autograph for my son? He's a big fan. I just looked straight ahead in the elevator. I didn't <laughs> say a word. And he's like, Jericho, hey, hey, hey. And the guy got so mad at me because I wouldn't acknowledge his existence. And this poor kid, <laughs> yeah. probably seven or eight years old, and it tore my heart apart because I have a son the same age. But I was like, I can't take the chance of signing this kid's autograph. And then two hours later, when everybody hates me in the garden, him going to his friends or anyone sitting around me or even himself going, he's not such a, he's not such a bad guy. He signed my, my kid's autograph. I didn't want that. I wanted the opposite. He's a son of a bitch. I hate him. He wouldn't sign my kid's autograph. Kill him. And that's why I was able to get that reaction because as bad as and hard as it was, it was real to those people 
that saw me at that arena that night. And it's kind of a Daniel Day-Lewis kind of thing where, you know, he became Abraham Lincoln. It sounds like you had to become this character. Was it hard to turn Absolutely. it off when you went home? I mean, you know, when yes, you st- it was. Yeah, it affected, it affected me. You know, it really did. And, uh, you know, I had taken method acting classes in the two years before I came back to the WWE, so I knew what I was dealing with. It wasn't just, you know, I understood the, the concept of having to drop in. And, you know, when, when Heath Ledger passed away, one of the rumors was that he was taking sleeping pills because he couldn't sleep because he was so immersed into the Joker and that character and how psychotic it was. It was hard to come out. And, and I, I understand that. I get it because, you know, I'd come out of the ring sometimes so furious and so pissed off at everything. It would take me, you know, half an hour to calm down. And then you would carry that home with you. So it, it was, a, uh, you know, I paid the price for playing that character, even though it was the pinnacle of my career uh, from, from that standpoint. From from a, a normal person's standpoint, it does affect you for sure. Yeah, and I'm fascinated by the fact that you also perform with a band that's called Fozzy, and uh, apparently been well received by critics and so forth. Could you take some of that anger out there? Because I mean that that's part of uh, an entertainment piece as well. It's not just you know, the that, music. That was, a, that was the thing too. We've been doing Fozzy for a long time, but we had to take a break. The band had to go on hiatus because. I was such a hated character. I couldn't do anything outside of that. You know, if I if I came in with my band, there'd be people that would say, "Oh, this band sucks. We hate them." Well, why? Because Jericho's in the band. We hate him. So you have to keep things separate. You know, and then that's it's just like you know Jared Leto. He does Thirty Seconds to Mars, and then he also wins an Oscar for Dallas Buyers Club. He's not playing, uh, you know, a transvestite AIDS victim on stage with Thirty Seconds to Mars. You know, it's it's two separate things, and you have to keep that separate. So. That's why the band has done as good as we as we as we have, and any type of critically acclaimed that you said the critics liked it. It took a long time because people have, you know, a prejudice. Oh, this is the wrestler's band. That guy's a wrestler. This can't be any good. And then, of course, you have to prove them differently. So we've had to work twice as hard over the years. But our band kicks ass. We're having some great momentum. We've had some great success because people know now that this has nothing to do with wrestling. It's just the guy in the band happens to do something else in his life and, and it's kind of irrelevant when it comes to rock, to the rock and roll side of things. Yeah, and you like being able to that where this is a totally uh, you know different Chris and you can go out there and, and, and be, have a different persona and so forth. Are you enjoying that? Yeah, well, I mean, and, and the thing is, you know, I was the, the character that we talked about it was 2008 to 2010. So now when I go back to the WWE, everyone loves me. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm the good guy again. So <laughs> it's all part of, you know, people say sometimes if I do some acting stuff, it's like, oh, how long have you been acting for? It's, I've been acting for 24 years. Yeah. It's part of the job when you're, when you're, when you're wrestling, you play a part, you play a character. And it's the same when you're singing. You, you, have, to, you have to sing with conviction, you know, and you've got to play, play a part when you're the lead singer of a rock band. So anytime you're doing something in show business, you have to adapt a larger-than-life personality because people want to, don't want to pay money to see Chris Irvin. They want to pay to see Chris Jericho being Chris Jericho, and whether that's on stage with Fozzie or whether that's in the ring with the WWE or whether it's doing a podcast or whatever it is. I got to be on and in character at all times. That, that's how I make my living. And how much did it help growing up with? Because your dad was an NHL hockey player, and of course he understood. Every time he went to a visiting arena, people hated him. And hockey kind of is probably the most violent of the big sports. You know where people have that kind of love hate thing depending on what team they're for and so forth. Did you learn a lot from watching your dad go through that? Well, I'm not. I mean, I was just a kid. You know what I mean. So. Um... Uh, but it was cool when I was first starting out that he understood what it was like to want to go follow your dream. And he was always very much behind that, very supportive of it. But, um, you know, like you said, that's part of, of, of 
of being in the public eye is there's people are always going to have opinions and some people are going to love you and some people are going to hate you and you better get some thick skin pretty quick if you're going to do this job and after 24 years I definitely have it. Well, the book is great. It's the best in the world and what I have no idea, but you know, you've got just some incre- you, you really had an incredible life when you think about it. Have you had interactions with celebrities of all type, you know, not not just from the world of wrestling, but you know, acting, rock, you name it and uh was it fun reliving that book? And are people kind of surprised now, when, especially those that just watched you in the wrestling arena, when they suddenly realize, wow, this guy is a lot more than just that? They know that. My fans know. I mean, they, they've known me for years that I'm not a wrestler. I'm an entertainer, and I've kind of focused my career on that. So when they read the books, I think it's fun for them to see the diversity and kind of see all those stories encapsulated in one place because I guarantee it's the only book where you're going to have me uh, it, it, it's funny because someone said something about name dropping. It's not name dropping if you actually have experiences and stories. And I think this is the only book in the history of the planet that has Jericho uh, interacting with uh, Ozzy Osbourne, Bob Barker, Mike Tyson, Mickey Rourke, Al Sharpton, Lauren Michaels, uh, Joe Perry, and uh, Johnny Depp. Find another book that has that type of variety, <laughs> and I'll uh, be surprised. It's something for everybody. Chris, thanks so much for being with us today. Really enjoyed it. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. It was a good conversation.